pastor came up to me and told me, hey, listen, we're the type of church that likes to follow Jesus rather than talk about him. And they had a table out, a folding table in the lobby, and it had all kinds of political ads, marches, and vote for this person, and all these kinds of things. So it was a very, very progressive church that, that sought to apply and live out of those progressive ideals. Now, and it was all activism, right? All activism, all action. Now, on the other end of the block was a old-school Baptist church. And what they did is, on Sundays, they, they would put this, the loudspeaker kind of on the, on the steps. It's kind of like this church, you know, where they have the steps right there. And they would put the PA, or at least one of the PAs, right on the steps. So you know what? When they're having church, like the neighborhood's going to church, whether they want to or not. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Like that thing is all the way up. If you're in that park, you feel like you're inside the room. <laughs> and, you know, they were singing all hymns from written 200 years ago. They were reading, praying, and speaking in the King James English. And then on top of all this, you're dead in the middle of a Spanish neighborhood. <laughs> so what we had here is we had two, two very different churches, but they had some similarities. They were both totally irrelevant to the community. Do you hear what I'm saying? They didn't, no one from the community was going to either church. That's what I'm trying to say. No one from the neighborhoods were going into that church. And so on the one hand, on the one end of the block, you have people who are like recycling Nazis. You know what I'm saying? And they're like coming down on you for not doing X, Y, Z. And yet people are drowning in dope, drowning in meth. And they're talking about recycling and let's get everybody a light bulb that's more energy efficient to the whole neighborhood. Totally irrelevant. And then on the other hand, you got people speaking in 400-year-old English in a Spanish neighborhood. Just as irrelevant. And this is what happens. This is what happens. Sometimes we get all about kind of conforming to a certain way of thinking and a certain way of doing things. That it's just about, hey, listen, you've got to accept this way of thinking. You've got to accept this ideology. One of our greatest problems is that we focus on the rules, not on an encounter with the ruler. We, we focus on the rules, but not on the king. You hear what I'm saying? And so we, we take what we like. 
We cut and paste what we like that Jesus taught. And then we take that, and some of us are like, oh, Jesus heals some people. I'm going to just solely focus on healing. <laughs> and then other people are like, Jesus talked about treating people equally. I'm going to solely focus on that. And we all have our things. And we want our little piece of Jesus. We want Jesus to reflect us. When we're supposed to be conformed to his image, we're supposed to be concerned with knowing him. And so we co-opt and we use Jesus for our own agenda because we're focused on the rules and not on the ruler. See, people cannot, and here's the, here's the issue with this, this saying, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. People cannot encounter the word of God, which is Jesus, without words. I want to show you a better way. I'm going to read again what I read when we read our scripture, okay? This is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 9. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles instead, we were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you have become dear to us. For you remembered our labor and our hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you we preach God's gospel to you. So our cliche tonight, our saying, preach the gospel always, when necessary use words, is often attributed to a saint named Francis of Assisi. And unlike the untraceable quote, here's the thing, you can look it up, nothing written ever, there's no, nothing historical. In fact, that, that, that exact phrase comes about 400 years after he lived. So he just, he just didn't say it. He, he never said it. Um, but here's the thing he did actually say. He did say this, and I have it, um, if Johanny, if you could put it on the screen. He said, the preacher must first draw from secret prayers what he will later pour out in holy sermons. He must first grow hot within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. See, our lives can energize the words that we say. Our love can take our cold, lifeless words and make them real and make them help somebody. You hear what I'm saying? But with you can't divorce these things. You can't live a life and not preach. See, because a faithful, loving, and shared life is the outflow of the gospel, but it is not the gospel itself. What this, what's going on here is there is something called an inlet, which is 
when you have the rough currents, and you have this on the Delaware, by the way, where they have to have these little spots where you can go in and where the winds won't keep you out. And one day, not that long ago, it was kind of cold, but we had like 25 kids, and we were down on the Delaware, and we were trying to get the kids on the boat. The problem was it was really windy. Some of you were there. It was really cold, and they were kind of deciding, well, should we go out or shouldn't we go out? And they said, you know what the problem is? It won't be getting out. We'll get out of here. We'll, we'll fly. It'll actually be easier to sail because the winds are great. And we'll fly down the Delaware River. We'll get there in no time. Um, we'll go down by the Navy Yards. It'll be great. But then coming back, coming back with the way the winds are, we might not, it might take us hours attempting to get into this calm spot where that, you know, the, the, the schooner is, right? The, the, the sailboat that we have right down by the marina. So our lives provide that smooth, safe water. Paul says he became like a baby. Isn't that weird language? Because he knew that they had to be gentle and that they were ministering to people who also were like babies. And he was saying that they had that mother-like, that nurse-like love. So Paul wants us, and Paul modeled for us, a method of evangelism, a method of sharing his faith, which looks like a mother caring for their children. Me and Christy, my wife, we joke about like mom sleep versus dad sleep, right? Mom sleep and dad sleep, I see a lot of smiles. Like it ain't the same thing. And the way that we are supposed to walk with people the way that we're supposed to love people in Christ, the way that we're supposed to come alongside folks is like a mother. And we don't sleep on people hard, like without a care in the world while they're struggling and they're drowning. But we are quick to wake up. We are quick to see how they're doing. Every noise disturbs us. We walk with people. But we need to remember that we are a recipient of the gospel, a recipient of mercy. We are not the gospel. That's really important. And that's sort of what happens when you take this cliche out of context. When you say, preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words. What you're trying to communicate in some ways is what really matters is that you just be a good person. problem is we're not good enough. The problem is, is that we need to be forgiven of our sins. And you cannot be the one who saves the people around you by your good example. 
You can't be the one that's going to save people around you by your good example. You need to point people to Jesus. So I was a missionary. Some of you know I spent some time, four years in Africa. And missionaries study what makes people come, become Christian. Like what's the commonality across cultures, whether you're here in Gloucester City, whether you're in Asia, whether you're in South America, wherever you are. You know, what's common comes from the Bible, and also, no matter what language or culture you're in, you see these things over and over again. And they've boiled it down to these three things, that people need these three encounters. And one of them is an encounter of love. And another is an encounter of of power and the third one is an encounter with truth so we need to have an encounter with love power and truth some of us identify more with this more with one than the other right you're like i know i did in the beginning when i started i, I grew up agnostic I, I i grew up with no attachment at all to any religion and I remember that, you know my family had we had our struggles and I remember coming to this youth group and they all just accepted me so I had an encounter with of love and I think a lot of people here have experienced that like you come here and you get to be yourself and you don't got to clean yourself up and you can be real and we're gonna love you and we're going to love you when you mess up. And we're going to love you again and again and again. And God uses that love to get people to question deep in their soul, could God actually love me like that too? When I was in seminary, I was in a class full of people working all over the world. And many of them were working in areas, in nations where you aren't allowed to share the gospel verbally, you will go, you will get persecuted. And by persecuted, I don't mean people will look at you funny. People look at me funny in Gloucester all the time. I don't care. That's called being a Christian, right? When you tell people, like, yeah, I'll pray for you, and they're like, all right, buddy. Like, that's, that's not persecution, okay? That's just normal People disagree with you. Get over it. You know what I'm saying? But there are places. There are places where you can lose your ability to earn an income for your family if you identify with Jesus. There are places where your very life is threatened when you identify with Jesus. And I was in this class, probably 30 students, probably over 20 of them were working in those areas where it was illegal to be a Christian. And the professor asked, how many of you have had disciples, have had people who follow Jesus, who came to you after they had a vision or a dream of Jesus? And more than half of the class raised their hand, working in over a dozen countries. It is a common thing. 
where God will pour out his spirit where you being legally allowed to share the gospel is not an obstacle to the Lord. <laughs> like he can just send a dream and wake you up out of your situation. And he does that here. I shared not that long ago that somebody, that, like a friend of mine, he did that. He's still seeking the Lord. And God sent him a dream just a couple months ago. Truth, though, an encounter of truth is often the most important and last barrier that we have in coming to Christ. Romans 10, 14 to 15. I'll just read it for your hearing. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe of him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. See, people need to hear about Jesus. They don't need you on the block. They don't need you at the water cooler. They don't need you at the scrapyard. They don't need you at the family reunion. They don't need you anywhere. They need Jesus. They need to meet with Jesus. And you can help them with that. You can have your life be an inlet, a spot where you nurture that relationship, where you share the life and the gospel, where you create a situation where someone can hear about God, but they don't ultimately need you. And do you know how freeing that is? Because you're not perfect. It isn't come copy me and you'll be a better person because you are looking at somebody, you're like, I'm more of a mess than you in some areas. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. We're not pointing to ourselves. We're not pointing to our good lives. We're pointing to the Savior who's working on us in the rough spots of our lives. So why does this, why does this matter? It matters because heaven and hell are real. You hear me? This life is not the end. What you do with Jesus matters. In every end, in the end, every person will be either saved or destroyed. Words matter. It's not just, I'll go to church, I'll follow Jesus, I'll think about Jesus because it makes me feel better, but I won't say nothing to anybody about him because that makes me feel bad. No. You have to say something. You have to say something because heaven is real situations may be hopeless or helpless in this life but they'll never be hopeless you hear what i'm saying there might be situations that are helpless but never hopeless just today me and my brother rob we were walking all around town and we were inviting people to this whole easter extravaganza that we're about to enter into and we, made, we had, like, these cards, and literally thousands of people found out today just within, like, less than a mile from the church 
that we're doing this, that we're giving meals out, that we're going to have this huge Easter egg hunt, that we're going to be doing all these different things. But as every time I do this, as I walked through town, and not just my neighborhood and the places that I'm usually going to, because we get used to seeing things. We see things, and it just becomes our everyday. But as I walked up and down, block after block after block, what do I see? I see houses falling down everywhere. I see houses boarded up. I see people cursing each other out. I see people stumbling around high. And so we can look at the town and we can pray and we can say we're here for Gloucester, but we can say in our strength, it looks pretty helpless. And it is helpless in the sense that we, you know, I can raise some money, I can get some leaders, I can get some volunteers, but it doesn't even make a scratch or it doesn't even put a dent in the brokenness of this town. This is why this is good news, that it's not just, you know, preach with your life and your goodness and all your good works. We can point people to the one who can bench press Gloucester city-sized problems. We can point people to the one who can break people out of their bondage. We can point people to the one that can heal somebody. Listen, I go around and I serve communion, and I've been in these situations where I've been with folks who are losing days and weeks. They're at the end of their life. And I can look at them straight in the eye and I can tell them, you know what, it may seem helpless. Your body is breaking down and I haven't heard from the Lord and I have no sense that you're necessarily going to be healed. But guess what? If you're united to Jesus, if you have your hand on him, it's not hopeless. You'll close your life. You'll close your eyes in this life. But you'll open your eyes and you'll see Jesus. And I'm here to tell you tonight that every single one of you, no matter how helpless it is, no matter how many decades you have on that habit, how many decades you have on that family problem, no matter how big that boulder seems, I'm not the one to say necessarily that he's going to move it next week. I don't know. But he can. You can't. I can't. <laughs> and if you're connected to Jesus, I can say this with 100% certainty, that there's hope that it's only going to get better. Whatever you're dealing with, it's only going to get better in the long run. In the next couple months, it might fall apart. <laughs> The stuff might hit the fan, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the sky might fall. But in the long run, it's only going to get better if you're in Jesus, if you know him. So I want to close with this. Do not punk out on sharing the gospel, brothers and sisters. Do not punk out on your obligation not only to share your life, be a decent person, go to church and have you and Jesus be your own little private thing. Don't punk out on sharing Jesus 
And if you want to become a better evangelist, if you want to become a better at sharing the good news, that's all evangelism means, I want to give you some advice. Pray, pray, and pray some more. First, first thing you need to do, pray a ton. Second thing you need to do, don't invalidate your words by your life. Okay? You can't silently be a Christian. That's not going to help people around you. But you know what? Don't be on Facebook Live constantly talking about praise the Lord, and then you're doing the nastiest, dirtiest things hours later. Don't invalidate the gospel with a hypocritical life. Take a hard look at your life. Are you faithful? I'm not asking if you're faultless. Nobody here is faultless. Every single one of us falls. Every single one of us makes mistakes. But what I'm asking is, are you on that path? Are you on that journey? Have you moved at all in the direction of the Lord over the recent months? Or have you been in a free-for-all? But here's the good thing. Here's the good news. If you've been in this like downward spiral rut free-for-all recently, what I'm saying to you is, yeah, own up to it. You haven't been a good evangelist, but guess what? You can go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, and he'll forgive you, and he'll pick you back up right now. Today is the day to start again. Today is the day to come back to the Lord. Also, I'm going to ask you to find your way to share your life and gospel. Find your way. Not the, not the Robert Hernandez way, right? Not the Pastor Joe way, right? So what do we do? We, we have people over all the time. You know, we have people in our backyard. We have a little fire pit. We share our life. We, we, we take advantage of the fact that our kids are in school, in the middle school, in the elementary school, and we go to birthday parties, and we go out there, and we try to build relationships with anybody and everybody that we can. That's what we do. But every single one of you is in a different place and a different stage, and has you have a place to shine your light. It's going to look different than how I'm doing it. And you may not be the woman, and you may not be the man who's going to articulate the gospel, but you can drive somebody to church. You can invite somebody. You can bring somebody. You can, and, and not just like, okay, I tried to invite them. They're not interested. Like, that's, that's a joke. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many times people knocked on my door? And I was like, nah, not today, man. Don't feel like going to church. Do you know how many times I must have frustrated those church people out? <laughs> you, you, you don't say like, well, we have these monthly meals, and I tried one time. I invited my neighbor, and it felt bad when they said they were coming, and then they didn't come. Oh, come on. Let's get a little tougher than that. <laughs> Invite them again. Don't stop. We are about to have a ridiculous amount of opportunities to share our life and share the gospel. We are about to go to the Phillies game with like 70, 80 people. And, more, and about half of those people are just folks from the town. 
that just want to go. And the other half is folks that are connected to our church in a significant way. And then that's Monday. And then Thursday, we're going to pack 400 meals and stuff 2,000 Easter eggs. And there are a bunch of young families that we know that are like, I can't wait to come and do that. So don't be so checked out. I know you're going through a lot, but come out and be a part of that. Sunday, on Saturday, we're going to be distributing meals to 400 families. Do you know how beautiful it is to just spend a couple hours going into someone's home? And nine times out of ten, they want you to come into their home. They want you to listen to them. They want you to pray for them. Yeah, there's sometimes people are like, no, just give me the meal and get out of my face. Who, you know what I mean? Okay, that's their right. But most people are like, talk to me. Pray with me. I need some encouragement. And that will bless you. We have an incredible amount of opportunities this month set up for you to not only live your life, but to share the gospel. Amen? And the final way that I would say is that you need to pray for the people and support the people who have been called by God to share the gospel. And that means in Gloucester, that means supporting, encouraging, praying for people like me and Dylan. Dylan is leading young adults and youth to Christ. And he needs your love. He needs your support. Like, you could just see, like, maybe you, you can look at it and you're like, he's doing something. Maybe I'm not, it's not my lane. It's not what I'm doing. But you can pray for him. You can remember to pray for him. And you can remember to pray for me. As I come up here and preach every week. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, you, you knew before the beginning of time that we would hear this word and, and not our regularly scheduled programming. Lord, we thank you, Father, that, that your word is always on time and always in season. And Lord, I pray, Father, that, that we would be challenged tonight that we wouldn't preach the gospel always when necessary use words, but we would just simply preach the gospel always with our lives and our words for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Amen.